And um, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, go ahead and open up to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we'll be studying verses 2 through 6 today. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you there on each row, uh, that will be on page 985 of the Bibles that we provided for you. And as you turn there in your Bible, I want to say a special thank you uh, to everyone who participated in our turkey giveaway effort. So if you were here over the last few weeks here in church, you know that the last three Sundays we had gathered donations to be able to give Thanksgiving turkeys to families in Medford who have great need during this holiday season. And so yesterday we had about 13 of our adults from Redemption Hill as well as a few kids uh, come together here and then divide and conquer and we were able to distribute uh, 44 turkeys to families across Medford and they were very, very thankful for that and blessed by those efforts. So if you gave, if you prayed, if you came to help distribute, I want to say a special thanks to John for coordinating those events with Lisa um, at the Housing Authority as well as Damon and and Abby for tackling a lot of the logistics and execution of the whole deal. It was a great effort and it's just an example of what we can do together as a church to be a blessing to our community. And so great job. It was awesome to see how God provided uh, in that effort to serve our community and love our community. Well, uh, you probably know that every great company, every great organization has a mission statement. They have uh, a statement that tries to capture what their purpose is, what they're about as a company or an organization. And I chose just a few that you might, after I read them, be able to pinpoint uh, the company that it belongs to. Uh, The first would be this, to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Anyone got an idea on that? That would be Google, Google google.com. I'm sure you use that, right? What what about this one? To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Anyone know that company? Starbucks, right? See my boy Josh Miller, manager of Somerville Ave. Starbucks, quoting that with me. Uh, What about this? To enhance society. Wow, these awesome lofty goals. To enhance society by creating, collecting, and distributing high-quality news, information, and entertainment. That would be not, unfortunately, the Boston Globe. That would be the New York Times. I I wanted so desperately to use the Boston Globe, except it was like 120 words and... I think they needed to send that one back to the editor, so uh, go figure. But, but it seems like every great company, every great organization has a mission statement. And we as a church have crafted a mission statement that we want our lives as a church collectively to be about this. And you see it up here every single Sunday. What do we say? We say, we exist. By the way, if you're a member or if you're like here all the time, regularly attending, maybe moving to a I hope that you know this already. All right, we exist to glorify God. How do we do that? By living out his mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. We want to light up, point to, showcase how great and glorious is God. Give him all of our worship that he so richly deserves. You say, well, how are we gonna do that? Well, we're gonna do that by living out his mission. 
That's our mission. You say, well, Tanner, what is the mission of God then? I think we could say that the mission of God is this. The mission of God is to redeem worshipers for himself from all peoples of the world and to ultimately restore his good creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of God. In this mission, we see that God created all of us, all people, to live their life for him, to glorify him, to worship him. And we know that if we're being honest, when we look in the mirror, when we look at the world around us, we have not excelled at our given purpose of glorifying God with our life. And so because of, of, of our uh, sin and our deviation from God's standard, our idolatry, if you will, taking good things and perverting them and replacing uh, God with those lesser things in our life, we've become idolaters. And so what are we to do about that? Well, it's what God has done about that. God sent Jesus to be our substitute, to bring us back to God through his death and through his resurrection that we might have life in him for all who would see the gift that God has offered to us and respond in repentance and faith. And so if this is the mission of God, then this should be our mission as well. And in a surprising and hopefully delightful way, God has invited us to participate in his mission. And so let me ask you this morning, are you participating in the mission of God? What I want to do today is invite you to take the small little story in the scheme of human history, we could say microscopic story of your individual life and allow your life to get wrapped up, caught up, engaged in God's greater story, his much bigger story of redemption in the world. And this is what Paul is getting after here in Colossians 2, verses, uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And he's gonna, he's gonna tell us that the task of advancing the mission of Christ belongs to every Christian. Okay, don't miss this. I mean, I hope you walk away with this today. The task of advancing the mission of Christ belongs to every Christian. You say, well, okay, how can we advance the mission of Christ? Well, Paul's gonna lay this out for us in Colossians 4, two through six. And in verses two through four, gonna teach us this and encourage us toward this, to advance the mission of Christ through prayer. Advance, advance the mission of Christ through prayer. Paul begins, and he writes in verse two, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so immediately in verse two, we see Paul not only encouraging us to pray, but to pray in a particular type of way. And so first we see that we should pray with perseverance. He gives this general exhortation for these new believers in Colossae to continue faithfully in prayer. You see, those of us who know God, we should count it a privilege 
It should be our joy to engage in the task, and we could even call it the work of prayer. It's in prayer that we understand that in in a mysterious and real way, we can move the heart of God to act on behalf of his people. It's in prayer that we show our dependence upon him and his ability to provide for our need and for his mission in the world. In his earthly life, we see that Jesus devoted himself to prayer. It's not surprising that not only here, but Paul would say in other places, Romans 12, 12, be devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, pray without ceasing. Have an attitude, a spirit of prayer where we're regularly, even consistently, constantly in communication with God. And so here he would say, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, perhaps as some have suggested, He gives us this exhortation because we know in our own experience that sometimes the easiest thing about prayer is what? It's quitting, right? I mean, it's just kind of, you know, we're after it for a little while, and it it, it does take concentration and effort and time and commitment and prioritization, and so we kind of wane in our prayer life. But I think there's even a greater reason than that. You see, I think that Paul wants to tell these Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer. Why? Because of what he has just told them before about what it means to know Christ and to live their life for Christ in this world. But then added to that, I believe he tells them this because of what he's about to tell them about advancing this mission that God has for each of us. And so I would suggest to you that It is oftentimes we are so weak in prayer because we fail to recognize how great the mission is before us. So I hope this morning we'll get a sense of how great and how vital and important the mission of God is for his people. Paul says pray with perseverance and then he says pray with an awareness. Pray with awareness. Uh, When Paul says here in verse 2 to be watchful in prayer, he's probably referring to having a constant sense of spiritual alertness. It's to have a sense of the times in which we live and the serious and gravity of the task. I mean, why is it that we are often so sleepy in our prayers, even when we're not that sleepy? We just kind of go through the motions in our prayer life, and we're not very watchful. We're not very alert. We're not uh, sensitive to, to, to what is going on around us. We don't pray with life and vitality. We don't pray with an expectation that God is really gonna hear and really gonna answer our prayer. And so when we pray with, with watchfulness, with an awareness, we are praying and we will be more in tune to how we should pray and more expectant in our praying that God will move and work on behalf of his glory and on behalf of his mission in the world. And then, and then Paul says, at the end of verse two, he says, pray with thanksgiving. I mean, again and again and again, if you've been through, with us through this series in Colossians, Paul is continually saying, and be thankful and abound in thanksgiving as you walk in him. And now he's saying, even in your prayers, abound in thanksgiving, pray, and pray with thanksgiving. 
And this is an appropriate time of the year for us to pause, right? And to consider all the many reasons why we have to give God thanks. He has poured out his blessings so richly on us in Christ. And so we should return thanksgiving to him for all he has done. And then Paul goes on to say in verses three and four that, that, that we should pray for certain things. He, he gives some, some specificity here. And he, and he says, hey, Colossians, pray for this. And he, and he requests specific prayer for his mission. And, and so here the encouragement is to pray for opportunities to make Christ known. I think we should find it significant here that it's the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest missionary other than Jesus himself, who requests prayer from these new believers. I mean, do you think if, if Paul needs prayer and he demonstrates this, this value of praying for one another in the, early in the, in, the, in the letter, he is praying for the Colossians. Now he's saying, hey, you Colossians, pray for me. I mean, how much more do we need to pray for one another regularly, knowing what's going on in each other's lives, to pray for one another, and, and specifically to pray like Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him here. What does he say in verse three? He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. What does that mean? To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You see, Paul's heart was that more and more and more and more and more and more people would come to know the good news about Jesus Christ and find life in him. This is what the word gospel means, is good news. We have great news to share with people. And, and Paul was so serious about this that he would say in Romans 9, look, I could wish that I were accursed, cut off from Christ, if others might know him. In other words, I would give up all the, the life that, that Christ has given me, this abundant life now, eternal life in the future, if more and more people would be able to know him. This is how serious Paul was about Declaring the gospel, making the mystery of Christ. The mystery is the message here. The content of the message of Christ known. And so this, this prayer that Paul asked them to pray assumes that the mission advances through a particular means. You get that? In other words, the mission of Christ, the mission of God is spread, it advances through a particular means, and that is God's people sharing God's word with others. I've recently been reading through the book of Acts again, and I am gripped by how explicit this is in the book of Acts. I want to just kind of pause, do a little excursus here on a case for word-driven mission from the book of Acts. And I wanna, what I've done here in my journal as I was reading through this, I started in Acts chapter eight because I was seeing it again and again and again. And I was like, you need to pay attention here. And so I started writing down every time that word-driven mission was just explicit in Acts eight through 12. And so I want you to 
follow along with me as I unpack this for us, and hopefully it will do something good for your soul and your witness for Christ and your motivation to pray for this type of mission. In Acts 8, and by the way, the context here is that Jesus has died, been raised, and has ascended to the Father, and before he ascended, what did he tell his his disciples? He said, you will be my witnesses, right? After you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, and into Samaria, and then even to the ends of the earth. And so Acts 1 through 7 unpacks the witness in Jerusalem, and then we find here in Acts 8 the mission spreading to Samaria and beyond. So how does the mission advance? It advances through the ministry and mission of the word. Check this out, Acts 8, 4. After the church was persecuted, it says that the scattered, persecuted church went about what? Preaching the word. Acts 8, 5. Philip went and proclaimed to them the Christ. Acts 8, 12, it says that the people believed Philip as what? As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8, 14, the Samaritans what? Received the word of God. Acts 8, 25, Peter and John went to testify and speak the word of the Lord. 8.35, Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus from the scripture. Acts 8.40, it says, starting in Azotus, Philip preached the gospel to all the towns he came to until he reached Caesarea. Acts 9.20, maybe you've heard of this guy. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians after he was converted radically after persecuting the church. It says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. In Acts 9.22, it says that Paul confounded Jews by proving Jesus is the Christ. 9.28, in Jerusalem, Paul preached boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, we have a sermon from Peter preaching to Cornelius, the Gentile, and his friends. In verses 34 through 43, 42, Peter, in that sermon, says, Jesus commanded us as his disciples to preach and to testify to who he is. And then in Acts 10, 44, it says that the Spirit fell when? When does the Spirit do his work? When the word was preached. Acts 11, verse 1, reflecting on this, it says that the Gentiles, what? Received the word. Acts 11, 14, we see that salvation comes by a message. 11, 19, talks about them speaking the word. 11, 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. And then in Acts 12, verse 24, it says, but the word of God, a summary statement, the word of God increased and multiplied. I mean, is that that enough for us? Does that kind of give us a clue, a hint? about how we should be going about this mission ourselves. It's the word. It's the truth of the gospel. People have to hear this message or they will never be reconciled to God. It's a word-driven mission that we have and therefore we must pray for opportunities to share the gospel, and we must ask God to help us present the gospel clearly. Let me ask you about your prayer life. In your prayer life, when you pray, do you engage in what Jack Miller calls maintenance prayer or frontline prayer? 
Maintenance prayer is not bad praying at all, but maintenance prayers deals with praying totally for physical needs in our life. I mean, when we gather with other believers, we should be praying for physical needs. Hey, my friend just lost his job. My grandmother is sick and in the hospital. Man, I've got this exam coming up, and I could really use some grace here, so pray for me. And there is nothing wrong with praying for those type of requests. I mean, God says, cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. So we should engage at that level in in this what we call maybe maintenance prayer. But then there's another kind of praying that Miller calls frontline prayer. And frontline prayer is engaged in going after God for the the spiritual renewal of our own souls and spiritual transformation in the lives of those who do not yet embrace Christ as Lord. And so are we regularly praying that God would do something great and would work his work of redemption, not just kind of like out there in the world, although we pray for that every Sunday, but that he would do it like right here through us. This is our mission. And our mission must begin with prayer. So let's engage in frontline praying. John Piper says, you don't know what prayer is for until you understand that life is war. There is a real battle going on for the souls of men. And we must take this message to people and it must begin with prayer. All of the great missionary movements begin with prayer. Just read Acts chapter one. The disciples, they are praying and asking God to work on their behalf. So let's be a praying church. Let's pray for those in our community who need Christ because many, 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 many people do. But then Paul shifts gears in verse five and he, he says to the, to the Colossians, you know, not only pray for my evangelistic efforts here, but you know what, you you go and engage in your own evangelistic efforts. So we advance the gospel not only through prayer, but we advance the mission of Christ by displaying the gospel ourselves. In verse five, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So a couple of encouragements here for us. For, for those of us who know Christ and believe in Christ, is, is to live wisely in this world, right? We're not Christians, again, I'll say it again, not Christians of the culture. We just don't embrace everything in the world and just kind of fit in like a chameleon. We're not Christians against the culture as if we're gonna kind of go off in exile and like become this kind of Christian ghetto, if you will, and reject everything there is in the world. No, we're Christians in the culture, We live among people who don't embrace God. They don't love God. They don't even believe God exists, some of them. Some of them, of course, believe God exists, but they believe they have to earn their way to him. Others just think that, you know, uh, that's nice, that's good for you, but I'm sure God is so nice and loving that he'll just let everyone in at the end. And clearly that's not the case. So we need to live wisely among outsiders. Maybe this seems like a divisive term. Well, why does Paul use the word outsiders? Because there are those 
that we rub shoulders with every day, and this was the case in the first century, those who are outside of the life of Christ. In other words, they have not yet chosen to enter into the life that Jesus offers to all people. And so we need to walk in wisdom and live in such a way that lends credibility to our faith and creates no stumbling block for people who may be considering coming to faith in Christ. We need to, as he's talked about in chapter 3, verse 12, clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience and love that others might see the gospel on display in our lives. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Who is it in your network of friends that may be considered an outsider? I mean, you have a network of friends based on where you live, your neighborhood, where you work, what you love to do, who you belong to, your family. I mean, we all have a network of, of, of relationships, a sphere of influence, multiple spheres of influence. And I enjoy spheres of influence that you will never enjoy. I have relationships that you will never have and vice versa. You have relationships that I will never enjoy. And so it's up to each of us to display the gospel right where we are on a daily basis. And we need to do so with a sense of urgency. As Paul says that we are to make the best use of the time at the end of verse five. The word time here is, is uh, not speaking in a chronological sense as much as it's speaking about specific opportunities to display the gospel to others. We should be strategic and efficient in declaring and displaying the gospel. And, and why is that? It's because we only have a limited amount of time. We only have one life. It'll soon be passed. And so how are we living our life? Are we living in a strategic way that is, that is really concerned about those around us, that they would hear this great news and be changed by it? I want you to think about your life. Your life consists of literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of opportunities that you can regularly display and declare the gospel. It may be the train ride into work or school. It may be the person that you sit next to in class sparks up a conversation with you. It may be bumping into an old friend, hearing that they're struggling and being able to interject how you have handled that or how you would handle that as a Christian because you have resources that are available to you that they know nothing of. And so these we sometimes call divine appointments, divine opportunities. We need to be prepared to engage those around us, these networks of relationships with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard a quote that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. He, he said this, he said, uh, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Have you heard that? Do you love that? It's not bad, right? 
And I think we love, it's, it's probably really a love statement in, in three different ways. Okay, just think about this. Number one, perhaps when I said that, you love it because it gets at the need to really live out our faith and back up what we say with how we live our life. That's a, that's a really good thing, right? But I hope that we don't love it because we feel like it kind of lets us off the hook. Because what Paul's going to clearly tell the Colossians is, is that it's not enough to display the gospel with our life, but we actually need to also declare the gospel with our mouths. So perhaps we love it because it lets us off the hook. And I'll tell you who else loves it. I'll tell you Satan really loves that statement at times. If we use it as an excuse not to share the gospel, why? Because no one, listen to this, no one is going to become a worshiper of God a follower of Jesus Christ, just by us living this pristine life before them. I mean, we can have all the morality in the world, but the, the message that we communicate, sure, it, it helps, it lends credibility, hopefully it validates, but they are not going to be saved, brought back to God, reconciled to God, apart from our words and them coming to an understanding of why God made them how they haven't lived that out very well, and now what God has done for us in Jesus to reconcile us to God. And so finally, in verse six, we see that we should advance the mission of Christ by declaring the gospel. We pray, we display, and then we declare. This should be the regular rhythm and pattern of our life. Paul says in verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me just ask you quickly. You don't have to raise your hand. I probably know the answer for most of us. Does, does the idea of actually verbally sharing your faith with another person, does that kind of like freak you out at any level? There, that may be the case for, for, for many of us here, maybe most of us here. And why is that? It's because we're gripped with fear, Right? We're, we're, we're fearful that, uh, of how people res will respond, right? We're fearful that we'll lose credibility with them. We're, we're, we fear that our reputation will take a hit. We fear that um, we won't have all the right answers, or we fear that we're going to say something really stupid and kind of blow it with that person. And far too often... We live that way. Far too often, I live that way. But let me encourage us here this morning. That fear is not from God. That fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. Second, Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so do you want people to embrace Jesus as Savior and transform their life just as he's transformed your life, presumably. I hope we would all say, absolutely, Tanner, sure, why not? Yes. Then let me ask the follow-up question. Then what are you willing to do about it? Will we be compelled because God's glory is at stake and people are not worshiping him with their life? And will we be compelled and moved by our love, not only for God, but also for these people? that they can know and experience the life and love that God has for them. I like what Colin Marshall and Tony Payne say. They say that the Christian without a missionary heart is an anomaly. Think about that. The Christian without a missionary heart is 
an anomaly. So every person here who would claim Christ needs to understand that this is in our job description. This is not just for the pastors. This is not just for the leadership team. This is not just for like super Christians who read their Bible every day like 10 times and pray all the time. No, this is for all of us. Jesus has given this command for all of us to go out and be consistent in sharing our faith. So how do we do it? Number one, we speak the truth, the gospel. You've heard me say it multiple times already in the sermon. How do, we, how do we kind of grab a framework for sharing the gospel? You can remember these four words, God, Jesus, man, response. You got that? God, Jesus, man, response. God created all things and he created us for his glory. Man has not lived for God's glory, but we've replaced him with lesser pursuits. We've turned our back on God. The Bible says we've gone our own way. But God has the remedy for man in his son Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We can now be brought back and have this relationship with God if we would just respond in repentance and faith. That is the gospel, and you can share it with someone pretty briefly. Now, I know there's probably going to be follow-up and questions. You're going to drill deeper than that, but those are the essentials of the gospel message. Can you share that with somebody? Maybe out to lunch over a cup of coffee? Do you need to receive that message today? If you've never trusted in Christ and received the life that he came to give, do so. Do it today. So we speak the truth. We speak with grace. What's Paul saying in verse 6? He says, let our speech always be gracious. So we are to speak in a pleasant way. We are to, even when people might kind of raise their voice and, and get heated about us in conversation, we are to respond in a gracious tone, in a loving tone. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15, he says to speak the truth. How? In love. With joy, with a smile on our face, with a great concern for them. We're not in any way being attacked by them. Hopefully we understand that these are spiritual issues and we need to respond with graciousness. And then he says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. We should speak in a salty kind of way, right? Salt, it both preserves and it provokes. It gives flavor. And so hopefully we proclaim Christ. We declare the message of the gospel in such a way that it, that it gives flavor flavor and, it, and it, it even maybe provokes thirst in that person when they see how Christ has changed our life. And then, and then the last phrase, not only should we speak the truth and speak with grace, but we should speak with sensitivity. He says that we should do this so that we might know how to answer each person. In other words, we're not into like cookie cutter approaches to sharing our faith with others. People are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, right? You know this. People have different objections, different concerns, different things going on in their life. And so we want to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says, man, to the, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To those outside of the law, I became like one outside of the law. To those who are weak, I became weak. What is he saying there? He's saying that I want to identify with people and establish common ground with, such a peop with people in such a way that I gain a hearing from them. And I can relate to them and speak the gospel in an intelligible way that they can understand and come to grips with and then be challenged to respond. 
So this is how we are to go about sharing the gospel. Now, let me bring our time in the Word to a close with this. There are some upcoming opportunities for mission in the life of Redemption Hill Church. I want to give you five ways that we can be about the mission as a church together. And here they are. Number one, on December 4th, we're going to have what we're going to call Bring Sunday. A great way to get your feet wet in the mission of God is to invite and bring your friends to church. I mean, each Sunday, we are worshiping God, and we're singing the gospel and praying the gospel, and we're doing our best to preach the gospel. And so you can invite your friends to come with you, and we want to do this occasionally. When we start like a new series like we're going to do on December 4th, this Christmas series on receiving and giving the gift of Christmas, we can uh, start by saying, hey, why don't you come with me to church this Sunday? I mean, is that that hard? We've, we've placed invite cards in your seats. We want everyone to take at least a couple of these. You can, you can take as many as you want. We won't run out of these. When we run out of the few thousand that we ordered, we'll just order a few more thousand, all right? We want people to have the freedom, be equipped to invite their friends. You might even begin by saying, you know what? I don't know if you're interested in this type of thing, but I'd love for you to come to church with me on Sunday. We're starting this focus on Christmas, and it's a great time of the year. Why don't you, why don't you consider coming? with me. And don't just invite them, but seek to bring them. Say, hey, I'll pick you up. I'll meet you at this place, and we'll go together and be a part of worship. So that's an opportunity. Bring Sunday, December 4th. Another opportunity is our Christmas party on December 9th. This is uh, what we'll call in Redemption Hill a connecting event. It's a way for us to connect with one another, which is very valuable, but it's also a way for us to connect with those who are outside of the life of Christ and the life of the church. So we're gonna gather right here on December 9th at Spring Step, and we're just gonna have a Christmas party. You're gonna hear more about that at the end of the service. But it's gonna be a great time, and it provides a non-threatening environment for someone who may be a little more resistant to come on a Sunday morning to come to an event like that and mix it up with other Christians. And number three, we are going to have a Christmas dinner for Medford families. The details are still being ironed out, but there will be opportunity for you, at minimum, to pray for this effort. Number two, maybe to provide some food. And then three, I'm sure we'll need volunteers to actually help us pull off the actual event itself. And let me, let me share that people are not just dying to come to us. We have to go to them. And one way we do that is not only by uh, connecting events, but it's through service. Yesterday when we went out to give away these turkeys, I had just gone to my second door and I had, you know, dished out uh, this second turkey and my phone starts to ring in my pocket. So I pull it out, it's a number I don't recognize. And so I answer the phone and she says, is this Redemption Hill Church? I said, yes, it is. She said, well, I just received a, a turkey and I want to say thank you. I said, well, you're welcome. We, we're excited to be able to do it. I hope it helps you have a great Thanksgiving. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, the last two years, my family has not been able to celebrate Thanksgiving. And my daughter, who's in college, has not even come home for Thanksgiving because I haven't been able to pull off a Thanksgiving dinner. So she said, you guys don't realize what you've done for our family. And I said, well, it's 
it's, it's, a, it's our privilege. We're, we're so thankful. We just, we're a new church in the area, and we want to serve our community in some practical ways. And I said, oh, by the way, name, wait, what's, your, what's your name? And she gives me her name. I said, well, my name's Tanner. I'm one of the pastors of the church. She said, oh, I know you. I said, I met you this past summer at the community party that you threw at Placedead Park. And she said, you guys are doing some great things in, in Medford. Keep it up. And I said, well, hey, again, thanks. And, and if you're ever interested, we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you and your family and for you to come on a Sunday. And she said, my fiance and I, we were just talking about that. See, opportunities, being on mission, displaying the gospel, serving others is a great way to advance the mission of Christ. And then number four, we're going to have a great commission offering. So in December, we're going to have an offering that is going to be above and beyond just our regular giving on Sundays to the mission of this church. We're going to give a special offering that will be devoted, 25% will go to national missions, 75% will go to international missions. So you're going to have an opportunity to, to give uh, uh, as God leaves above and beyond to take this mission, not only to Medford, but to the ends of the earth. And then finally, what is the, the, the best opportunity? All of this, it is you. It is you sharing your story. It is you displaying the gospel. It is you reaching out and inviting and bringing your friends to church. It is you sitting down over lunch and hearing a, the, a, the story of someone else, hearing their struggles, interjecting how Jesus can meet their needs and their deepest need, the need of their soul to be right with God. Will you own this? Will you own this mission? What if the mission of Christ advanced according to our prayer? What if the mission of Christ advanced according to our witness? Where would that leave us as a church? By the way, as we've looked at, it does. God advances his mission through his people, through their prayers, through their collective witness. And so I hope you see what I see. There is no reason. I just want to go ahead and throw this out there. There is no reason why you cannot just kind of get on board with a couple of these. There is no reason why all of us can't be engaged at all of these levels moving over the next month. There is no reason why on December 4th and December 9th that spring step can't be packed out in here. There's no reason why we shouldn't see 20, 30, 40 new believers in Christ over the next year because we're just regularly sharing our faith in Christ and offering the life that God has already given us. There's no reason a year from now that our attendance on Sunday mornings won't be doubled or tripled. Do you see that? Do you believe that God can do that? You say, well, how can we get there? Here it is. Pray display, and declare. That's our job. The results, the fruit, that's God's job, and he is faithful. Let's believe in that and get about the task. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time in your word. We pray that you would move our hearts toward obedience and that we would respond by taking the mission that you have for us 
and praying toward that and owning that with our life. And so, Lord, we know that's only going to happen by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us to accomplish your great will among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.